You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Dear listeners, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Mubariz Amini and uh, with me I have um, my co-presenter, Daniel Ahmed. Um, and in this show, we will explore uh, three segments. The first one, which is World AIDS Day. Segment two is Revealing Climate Injustice, How Climate Change Profoundly Impacts the Poorest. And segment three, Positive Parenting Results in Pro-Social Kids. Um, so obviously the segments will start from 7.30 onwards and till then, as usual, we do usually discuss the news and the weather. Um, and speaking of the weather, Daniel, you obviously had a um, a trip into the um, into the studio today. Yes, indeed. So uh, how was your early morning? <laughs> so it's it was the first time ever I took a different route coming here. So a very interesting and... Um, yeah, I would say um, interesting uh, journey coming good, here. Good, good, good. But yeah, the, um, it, it's been getting colder in yeah. the last couple of weeks now, especially. Coming here with dark, gloomy uh, weather outside. And uh, and then by the time we leave, it'll be, <laughs> it'll it be will, bright. <laughs> it will be, hopefully. Let's see, there, there will be no more uh, clouds outside. Well, today, um, so the forecast for the UK today is that it's expected to be chilly and bright for many with with, uh, sunny spells. Showers in Scotland, mostly towards the north and east, these falling as snow on the hills and silly at lower levels. Tonight we'll see a clear and chilly night for most. A few silly and snow showers in eastern and northeastern Scotland and some showers in Northern Ireland, West Wales and southwest England. Tomorrow we'll see another dry and bright day for many, with a few lingering showers in southwestern areas and north sea coasts. Cloudier in northern Scotland with scattered sleet and snow showers. Mm-hmm. The outlook for Thursday to Saturday is that the outlook period will be cold. Thursday we'll see sunny spells with sleet and snow showers in northern areas, risk of cloudier skies and a few spells of rain in the far south, bright elsewhere. Friday looks to be dry, bright and chilly, with a few showers along northern and north sea coast. Saturday will see further brightness, but the risk of showers in the north and west. Moving on to today's headlines. Just before the headlines, Mumbai, I just want to ask you that. um, You said that uh, you're going to be... Uh, snowing in Scotland as well. So, uh, are you kind of fond of uh, snow or not? Um, yeah, just if as long as it's um, proper snow and not just turns into slush straight away. Yeah. Right. Um, if it settles and it and 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 we get um, if, you, if 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 it's all white everywhere, then mm. it looks nice. It feels nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have difficulty on the roads and stuff, but everybody gets gets past that. Do you not? Do you not like the snow? I do like the snow, but um, the same thing that what you have said. So hopefully we get also get the snow as well as it's gonna happen in Scotland. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the first 
न्यूज़पेपर हेडलाइन गाजर ट्रूस होप्स एंड बैंक चीफ टॉक्स यू के डाउन द गार्डियंस फ्रॉम पेज इज डोमिनेटेड बाई द न्यूज़ अ टेम्प्रेरी सीज फायर बिटवीन इसराइल एंड गाजा हैज़ बिन एक्सटेंडेड बाई फोर्टी एट आवर्स द पोज इन फाइटिंग विच हैज़ सीन हॉस्टिज रिलीज इन रिटर्न फॉर पैलस्टीनियंस डिटेन इन इसराइली प्रजेंस हैड बिन ड्यू टू एक्सपायर आफ्टर फोर डेज द गार्डियन नोट्स द यू एन सेक्रेटरी जनरल has hailed the extension as a glimpse of hope mm-hmm. the times also leads um, on the extension of ceasefire but focuses on warnings from hamas which first appeared via arabic news channel al arabia that it will demand a higher price from israel in return for for remaining hostages uh, including captured soldiers the eye leads on gloomy news for people with mortgages It repeats on warnings from Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey that the base interest rate of 5.25%, which informs what lenders charge as interest on housing loans, is not likely to come down anytime soon. Inflation in the UK is still more than double the 2% target set by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the Daily Express reports some Tory MPs are frustrated at Andrew Bailey for to- for talking down the economy its front page calls for a bank of england governor who talks britain up mr bailey warned the potential for growth in the uk is lower than it has been in much of my working life the metro leads on a court case involving two teenagers accused of murdering brianna gay in cheshire which has heard claims they showed a preoccupation with violence torture and death neither of the accused a boy and a girl who both deny murder can be named because of their age mm-hmm. turkey's uh, trading relations with russia are testing its ties with nato allies and fears that they could be boosting the kremlin's war effort in ukraine reports the financial times The main image on the front page is of tech tycoon Elon Musk meeting Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu during a visit to Israel. Endgame, a forthcoming book on the royal family, is already making waves. The Daily Mail quotes Palace Insiders denouncing its claims about strained relations among senior royals as poisonous. Buckingham Palace has not commented on the book. The UK's Equalities and Human Rights Commission could lose its top-level status at the UN's Human Rights Body Cover, Body Over, its defense of biological sex. The Daily Telegraph reports. The paper says a review is being carried out over its accreditation after lobbying by some charities. Video assistant referring could be extended to checking corners. free kicks and yellow cards the sun reports it says the changes will be discussed at a meeting of the sports rule making body on tuesday and describes the proposal as balmy mm-hmm. the resolution of a legal battle between david williams and the producer of britain's got talent has drawn to a close after the after the parties reached an amicable resolution former hosts Uh, former host Williams sued the production company after disparaging uh, comments he made on set about uh, contestants who were leaked. 
And now to the Daily Star where matters um, are up for discussion. It claims people who have had close encounters with alien beings have reported waking up in possession of new psychic abilities. The Guardian front page features a photo of a young Palestinian man surrounded by children trying to leave northern Gaza as the current ceasefire between Israel and Hamas continues. The headline says the deal to extend the truce has raised hopes that dozens more hostages will be released, but the paper suggests there are widespread fears that the reprieve from the conflict will be brief. In this editorial, the Daily Mirror calls the extension of the truth a small but encouraging step. It acknowledges that Israel has a right to pursue Hamas in response to the murderous attacks on 7th October. But the paper concludes that a return to the slaughter of Palestinian civilians after this pause would be impossible for much of the world to stomach. According to the Times, Rishi Sunak has been warned by government lawyers that opting out of the European Convention on Human Rights in an attempt to implement his Rwanda policy will backfire. The paper says ministers are considering emergency legislation that would mean British courts were not bound by the convention, but government lawyers believe this could lead to further legal challenges. Lord Cameron, the Foreign Secretary, is also said to believe the UK's international standing could be harmed. Downing Street said all options were still on the table. But the I reports that up to 40 Conservative MPs are opposed to rebel if Mr Sunak fails to take steps to override the convention. An unnamed Tory insider is quoted saying that the government is soft-peddling on Rwanda because they don't really know where they are going. The Daily Telegraph's Lead suggests the UK's Equality and Human Rights Commission could be blocked from United Nations rights bodies because of his stance on legislation affecting trans people. The paper says the UN is assessing the EHRC after it gave advice to ministers suggesting the law should define sex as biological sex. Writing in the paper, the Commission's head, Baroness Faulkner, states that it is concerned about the review, partly because it was judged to be meeting the highest standards only last year. There is anger on the front of the Daily Express about the Bank of England, Governor Andrew Bailey. On Monday, he said the UK's economic growth prospects were lower than they had been for much of his working life. The headline is, Time for a Bank Chief Who Talks Britain Up. Poisonous is how the Daily Mail front page describes a new book about the royal family. It condemns Endgame by Omid Scobie, saying it's pain- it paints an almost comically negative view on the monarchy. Mrs. Scobie has previously written Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan and The Making of a Modern Royal Family. The Mail says that because of this fluttering tome ab- about the Sussexes, Royal aides had expected the new book to be a hatchet job. Finally, the son is outraged that VAR could be extended to check corners, free kicks and yellow cards at football matches. The paper says the proposal is to be discussed today by the International Football Association Board, which sets the sports rules. The son points out 
that with VAR already controversial, an extension would be balmy. Um, uh, just one thing, uh, also regarding the um, Israel uh, Hamas war, mm. uh, as you know, that uh, our beloved Imam uh, Khalif of the uh, of the of the Muslim community, worldwide head of the Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mizan Masroor Ahmad, you know, he uh, keep on emphasizing that. Uh, there should be a ceasefire, um, a complete ceasefire, uh, not for just uh, three or four days. And uh, for regarding this, you know, every, uh, in every Friday sermon, you know, he uh, tells us, and um, also the, this recent Friday sermon, he also gave this message that um, continuing prayer for the Palestinians, may Allah the Almighty deliver them from the oppression they are enduring. It is said that there is a temporary ceasefire a few days to facilitate the uh, delivery of essential supplies. So this Friday sermon is from uh, was on the 24th of November, like um, three four days ago. And he further says that uh, the intentions of the Israeli government seems dangerous as one of their key advisors recently announced that if the war does not resume immediately after the temporary ceasefire, he will leave the government, such is their thinking. The major powers, while outwardly expressing sympathy, do not want to administer justice and are not serious about this matter. They believe that the war will remain confined to those areas, but they are unaware. Even the wise among them have started saying that the war will not be limited to those regions, but will spread further and reach their own countries. And again, he further says that Muslim governments have also started to speak up. For instance, like the king of Saudi Arabia has reportedly said that Muslims should have a unified voice. To achieve this, uh, concrete efforts will be needed. Uh, if they have come to this realization, uh, may Allah Almighty also grant them the ability to put uh, this awareness into action. In any case, uh, in any case, attention should be given to prayers. So, in nutshell, uh, nutshell um, uh, His Holiness is saying that uh, we shouldn't uh, be, we shouldn't leave prayers. Rather, we should increase our prayers with the passage of time, uh, not only for the Muslims but also for those who have been oppressed wrongly. So. Um, uh, a, a, it's an awareness for all those people, um, regardless of, um, regardless if they are Muslims or not. Um, we should be praying for uh, them or, and also for our brothers as well, our sisters as well, our whole um, uh, whole fellow fellow being. And again, uh, some news from the sports. I would say um, from the cricket. So in cricket, um, there was a match going on between India and Australia after the very thrilling uh, World Cup final, which 
by the way um australia won hmm. um but after that uh, there is a series going on a t20 series going on and uh, india is thrashing australia very badly okay. i would say yeah very badly and uh, surya kumar yadav which was i would say that he was on a very <coughs> bad uh, patch he wasn't doing well in in world cup but now as being a captain of this uh, indian side mm. um he's you know he's leading from the front and they have won the first two t20s and um, also a uh, test match going on uh, between bangladesh and new zealand mm. uh, i know not uh, many people who are fond of uh, watching test match but you know uh, like me i don't really watch a test match but you know sometimes i do follow a test match and uh, the um, uh, what is happening uh, who's you know who who's doing well and not but yeah mm, on the other side mm, india and australia the third match of t20 will be played tomorrow between india and australia and uh, let's hope Australia do come back um after losing two games but anyways uh we will head towards a short break it's a uh, time for a short break after which we will discuss um our first segment which is um world aids day please uh, do join us uh, straight after this break he claimed to be that lost one awaited by all major fates of the world he claimed to be that krishna that hindus were waiting so long for he claimed to be that buddha about whose coming the previous buddha had prophesied he was that jesus son of mary awaited by both christians and muslims alike he said he was the great reformer predicted by guru baba nanak as well as the second coming of zoroaster he said that his mission was to bring all mankind to the realization that there is a god he sought to bring about revolutions inside people so that they would fulfill the rights of each other as well as fulfill the rights of god now just who was he he was the messiah of mankind mirza ghulam ahmed of gadian and he was not a liar 1400 years ago the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of god be upon him claimed that the promised messiah of all faiths would appear to the east of damascus it is recorded in writing that around 100 years ago this messiah sitting in an unknown undeveloped indian village which lay on the same latitude to the east of damascus no less received the following revelation in the arabic language bala dimash meaning destruction in damascus he prophesied the first and second world wars and he also predicted that a great war would start from here it is no secret that the syrian civil war is the biggest crisis of our time a conservative estimate states that over half of a million people have been killed since the syrian civil war started in 2011 However, the number is sure to be significantly higher. 
Similarly, it is estimated that 11 million Syrians have fled the country since the war began. The pre-war population has been estimated to be 22 million. With different factions on the ground, including American, Russian, and Syrian government troops, Syrian rebels, and ISIS, this has become an international arena of death, a de facto playground for world war. Although world war and the crisis in Syria are signs of his truthfulness, the promised Messiah abhorred bloodshed and violence and instead claimed that he had come to end religious wars. He said that he loved mankind with the same love that a mother loves her child, nay, even more so. What mother would not sacrifice her own peace and well-being for the sake of her child? So, one can only imagine how much the promised Messiah loved mankind. An expression of his love are his timeless words which he desired to be a means of salvation for those he loved, that is, all of humanity. It is a fire, but all those shall be saved from that fire who love God, the doer of wonders. We live in the age of buttons, where a single button can order us a takeaway or signal the beginning of a nuclear war. At a time when the fabric of our society is ever-changing and ever-tearing, where nations are remodeled overnight and billions of dollars are lost in an instant, we are no doubt standing at a pit of uncertainty. With global suicide rates ever increasing and the threat of a third world war ever looming, our eyes strain for a solution to this epidemic of unrest. But one voice has spoken out in the darkness, addressing the global public and leaders of the world time and time again. A voice of reason, logic and the overwhelming power of truth. This voice, a beacon of light, exists in the visionary of this age. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the global spiritual leader and guide for tens of millions of Muslims around the world. If we are to leave behind a legacy of hope for our children and bequeath a peaceful world to our future generations, we, irrespective of our religion or beliefs, need to urgently change our priorities. Instead of being consumed by materialism and a desire for power, every nation, whether rich or poor, must prioritize the peace and security of the entire world above all else. Instead of embarking on an arms race leading to death and destruction, we must join the race to save and protect humanity.
أشهد أن محمدا listening to the voice of islam radio you're listening to the voice of islam radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back after a short break. The first segment um, we will be discussing is World AIDS Day. Every year on December 1st, the global community comes together to observe World AIDS Day, a solemn occasion to demonstrate solidarity with those affected by HIV and to honour the memory of those lost to AIDS. Despite significant strides in combining the HIV epidemic, the threat persists particularly affecting young people who are disproportionately at risk. In 2020, 410,000 individuals aged 10 to 24 were newly infected with HIV, with 150,000 being adolescents aged 10 to 19. Hence, on this day, people across the world unite to support and raise awareness about the ongoing challenges posed by the virus. Um, Daniel, if you can just explain uh, to to the, the listeners what HIV is and, and what AIDS are as well, please. I am sure, why not? And um, also, you know, uh, this is a very concerning matter as yes, well, yeah. which we are discussing. And um, um, as you know, there is um, right now, uh, according to you know uh, my knowledge, there is no cure if, you know, it mm. starts... Uh, but um anyway hiv is a virus that attacks the immune system and uh, specifically the cd4 cells which are crucial for fighting off infections and diseases so this infection um, can be you know uh, transmitted through physical contact um sharing uh, needles or from other you know or uh, from or from mother to child during a childbirth or breastfeeding and um, um, this is um, the very virus you know if it uh, it is left untreated then it can lead to aids um, and which is the advanced stage of hiv infection basically and um, what it does that it uh, weakens the uh, immune system of a person and and makes the body more you know more vulnerable to infections and certain types of cancer uh, which is more alarming and um, as um, you know i've said before that uh, right now there's no cure for hiv or aids uh, but you know, but still um, 
with proper medical care and treatment um people with hiv can live long and um healthy lives so this is a platform right now um which we uh, we have to use to um spread awareness regarding hiv and aids and um i think i believe that it is one of the concerning matters uh, which are very much linked at um to i would say uh, one of the factors is that uh, the hygiene uh, cleanliness so it is pretty much linked to that uh, for example it starts from the very uh, personal hygiene of a person and um, then the cleanliness of a society so um, if we take such precautions beforehand and uh, then you know we can um, uh, then such events can be prevented and um, um, for example there's a very big example uh, during the covid so what we does that uh, during the covid uh, to keep our hands and other the things around us to keep them uh, clean and what happens that it can prevent to the maximum extent um the virus can cannot spread uh, if we keep um uh, such precautions um, so that's why the holy prophet uh, may peace and blessing of allah be upon him has said that cleanliness uh, cleanliness is half of faith because mm. it's not only affects a person physically but, uh, but it also affects a person spiritually as well so that's why um it's a very important matter for a believer as well because um it also leads uh, or affects a person's spirituality as well so that's the first step which one can take is the is that uh, the precaution hmm. and the precaution can be taken by just doing simple things uh by doing uh, by keeping your personal hygiene uh um and um the hygiene of a society as well and uh, for example if you know um by somehow by somehow you know a person um gets the disease um, for example if a person gets the flu uh what you do is that you just simply uh again you do the necessary precautions or try to uh do such precautions um you know which you know can uh, minimize um that disease uh to a certain level at least if not fully um cured but for example if someone gets uh, the disease but uh, inflicted um uh, of a disease is been inflicted upon a person uh, mm. spiritually uh sorry physically then also as I, as i have said before that it will also affect them uh, spiritually as well and so uh, again it is a responsibility of a human being sp- uh, uh specifically i would say as a muslim um to keep such things in mind uh, not only to um, help uh, your own personal well-being but also the well-being of uh, your fellow uh, brothers as well 
and um, also if you you know keep that thing in mind that um, um, as you know as a Muslim um, we believe that uh, the God Almighty is the omnip- omnipotent so that uh, being if if God is omnipotent and um, then we believe that he has the cure for all things as one of his um, you know characteristics is uh, a shafi that he is the healer of mm. uh, all diseases uh, he has the cure for all diseases and uh, if we remember God Almighty in our prayers uh, in our daily life in our daily routine mm. then obviously you know as being his creation um god almighty will certainly um help us indeed will help us because as he says in the as he also says that that uh, he loves a person uh, his creation more than a, uh, a mother loves his child so obviously he would you know um if you uh, if a person ask him for the help obviously he would come for the help so these are the things which we need to um which we need to adopt in our daily life yeah. and um well um the facts and figures of hiv or, or aids um yes they certainly we also need to discuss that point as exactly. well exactly so it's it's because the whole point is to to have awareness of it so if you can just point them out for for um, the listeners as well in regards so obviously you know uh, again as uh, been said before that a very um, important topic uh, in terms of um, awareness and um, uh, just one thing before i you know um, just give the facts and figures regarding hiv or aids uh, that uh, in these figures are not to you know um make someone um get um into kind of um get feared but you know it's uh, a very simple thing to make uh, to make them aware of what is going on around around them so that you know they can get the awareness and so what happens for example if someone is not uh, being uh, in such situation there might be some people who are around him uh, who are in such you know kind of pain they he can help or she can help them so in in 2022 um 39 people 39 million people were living with hiv mm. 39 million nail i'm just going to ask you to wait um we just need to play a pre-recorded interview yeah sure with um with with kiran uh, malik Um, but l- uh, let me just finish this um br- uh, briefly yeah okay yes please so out of 39 million people living with hiv there are there were uh, there were 1.3 million new infections and 630000 aid related deaths mm. and that's a lot even i didn't know beforehand before that and uh, now it concerns me and i would believe that it will concern a lot who uh, to our listener as well um so kiran mehtab malik is uh, a biomedical scientist in in microbiology uh, laboratory she has experience of working with various specimens including hiv 
laboratory, uh, external laboratories. Um, they would then send it to their partner laboratories for testing. Uh, those test kits, I would say, would be more reliable than a rapid 30-minute test kit at home. But obviously, if it does turn out to be that a patient is HIV positive, uh, they should always go to their GP or they can go to the gum clinic where they can have further blood tests done to monitor the progress or the stage of where the infection is, uh, how long um, it's taken for it to be diagnosed. Obviously, the earlier diagnosis is better because then treatment can be started sooner and then you can have a no normal, nice, long, healthy lifespan. Mm -hmm. Good luck. And what role does education play in preventing the spread of HIV and AIDS? So my personal opinion would be that education of, of HIV and AIDS, uh, by letting people be more aware of it, whether it be through social media or the actual official government or NHS websites, or just uh, generally, uh, you know, Wikipedia even, if people are just Googling or searching on HIV, they have that education and knowledge of what it is, how it's transmitted, and that taboo of the disease would then be less. Also, uh, by educating people about the disease um, and illness, HIV and AIDS, um, and how it's transmitted, how it can be treated, even though the person can never be cured of HIV, um, they can have such a low viral load that it can remain undetectable and they can't then spread it on. So I guess if anybody, God forbid, if anybody is positive and they are able to become undetectable for HIV, then yeah, I think for them it would be, um, it may be more, they'd be more socially accepted as an individual by educating people um, through different means of um, sources, whether it be social media, um, websites and just general, even like normal science lessons, obviously it's covered within the curriculum these days. Um, so it will just decrease the taboo of the illness, it will make increased awareness, uh, it will decrease um, obviously the prevent, it would prevent it from being spread uh, without knowledge or knowing that if you have the illness, for example. Um, also it will just increase and um, improve sexual health of the person or that you would be aware of your surroundings of how it's transmitted and what causes it, for example. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that was quick. Yeah. All right. Well, Jazakallah again <clears throat> for your time today. Jazakallah. Um, yeah, well. Thank a, you. Yeah, no problem. I hope you have a lovely day ahead of you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessing of Allah be upon you all. Uh, that was a very short and brief interview for, by Kiran Malik. And, um, you know, as before this interview, um, uh, I was, uh, you know, giving some facts and figures regarding HIV and AIDS, and uh, which um, uh, I said that um, nearly around uh, six, um, 0 0.6 uh, million people um, were related to the um, related to AIDS infection uh, got who um, were de were dead, and um, moreover, um, uh, 29.8 million people, 76% um, of those with HIV were on ART by the end of 2022, 
showcasing significant progress since 2010. Um, new in HIV infections have decreased by 59% uh, since 1995 with 1 1.3 million new cases in 2023. But right now we have with us uh, our next guest, Laura Waters. Uh, she is a sexual health consultant and HIV lead at the Mortimer Market Centre, London, and honorary associate professor at the Institute of Global Health at University College London. Uh, she is immediate uh, past chair of the British HIV Association and national speciality advisor for HIV, chairing a group that advises NHS um, England on HIV treatment and care. Uh, Laura, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you Peace very be much. On you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning. So, Laura, um, did COVID-19 increase or decrease HIV transmission rates? And uh, why maybe that? So, yeah, it's a, it's a really important question. And I'm not sure we fully know the answer yet in mm-hmm. every part of the world. So, the issue is, of course, during covid there were lockdowns, people weren't going out, there was less contact, so there was less HIV transmission, almost certainly. However, there was also a big reduction in access to testing and to prevention. Now, most parts of the world did a really good job of getting people with HIV on treatment because we know that someone with HIV on effective drugs cannot pass the virus on to their sexual partners. So there is a zero risk of transmission. And most people stayed on treatment, but in some areas there would have been interruptions in treatment, meaning there was a possibility they could pass the virus on. But it was mainly related to testing and access to prevention like PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is taking drugs to prevent HIV. And so what we're starting to see is an increase in new cases. So in the UK, for example, we have seen an increase in cases in 2022 compared to 2020 and 2021. And some of that is likely due to access to testing and prevention during COVID. For the rest of the world, it's slightly early days, but I think we will see an increase in many countries. Mm, That's very alarming, I would say. And... um... Uh, for our listener, what is the current HIV care cost in England and um, how can it be improved? So that's a good question and it's one that I, I can't give a very precise answer mm-hmm. to because it's not something that tends to get shared and published. Mm. And the way that different hospitals manage their budgets and their costs are very complicated. And many staff work across more than one surface. So, for example, many people who work in HIV clinics also work in sexual health or general infectious diseases clinics. But there was a paper published very recently from a London service, and they showed that on average, Mm. care costs, not including the drugs, but the costs of tests and staff and all those things, 
is about £2,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Other studies have shown it to be much more, so we're not quite sure why they differ. And drugs, the cost will vary anything from £150 a year right up to more than £5,000 a year, depending mm-hmm. on whether the drug is branded or generic. And generics are when the drugs have come off of their patent, they're no longer protected, so can be made unbranded very cheaply. And it also depends on the negotiations that the NHS makes with the various drug companies. But typically, you're probably looking at between 250 £400 a month mm-hmm. for branded HIV treatment and it's much, much less for non-branded. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with just eight years remaining to achieve the 2030 goal of ending yes. AIDS, what key challenges, you know, you think need to be addressed to achieve this? Because I think uh, it's only like seven years left and mm. we are way behind. Um, we are way behind. Yeah. yeah, no, we, we are way behind. And, and some of that is due to COVID, but it, it's not only. I think that the targets were always designed to be ambitious. Mm. And it's it's difficult to know, should you set the ambitious target to have something to aim for? Or should you be more realistic? I think ambition is good. But the challenge is that you're not going to achieve that Mm. until everybody achieves it. There's no point reaching zero in just one place Mm. because if people in other places haven't reached zero and people travel, and it it needs to be a global zero. And Mm. we're simply not going to achieve that if we don't address the fact that HIV and people with or at risk of HIV remain severely stigmatised discriminated against and in some countries there is criminalization that acts as a major barrier if you are a gay man living in uganda Mm. how are you going to access testing and prevention if you're in a country where you are criminalized and the penalties could be absolutely huge for you so i think really until the politics and the law in every country permit everybody at risk HIV to access prevention and everyone with HIV to easily access treatment, then we will not reach it. But I hope as we get closer and closer, Hmm. the pressure to solve those issues and ensure that everybody can access, because we could achieve it today. We have Hmm. the tools we need. We just need to implement them in a fair way. And at the moment, we're just not achieving that. And if you look globally, although overall, the number of HIV infections have been coming down. As I said, we've yet to see if there's going to be this small upswing like we've seen in the UK mm. everywhere. But there are some parts of the world where cases are going up. And yeah, Eastern certainly. Europe is a, is a good example. Yeah. So I think there's work to be done. But the closer we get, mm. it's like if you're running a race. When you can see the finish line, you get the energy to cross that finish Mm. line. And if we can see the same with this, then maybe we'll get there. So let's hopefully um, that we do achieve this target. uh, I hope so. It's time for 8 o'clock news. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Thank you. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, have the merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back from the 8 o'clock news. 
We are continuing with the second segment, which is revealing climate injustice, how climate change profoundly impacts the poorest. Climate change has been recently observed to lead to so-called whiplash across several countries, wherein regions that were formerly susceptible to droughts are now facing instances of severe flooding and vice versa. Given the lack of support from wealthier and developed nations, uh, repercussions of these unpredictable weather extremes are catastrophic for vulnerable communities, resulting in the destruction of crops and livelihoods, disruption of water supply services and infrastructure, and leaving people susceptible to disease and morality. This segment will focus on the injustice of climate change on the purest people and nations. So uh, we need to understand which countries or regions have been affected, um, have been have been widely affected by these um, inverted extreme weather conditions. And a recent study has highlighted a few countries which have seen extreme and devastating weather conditions. These include Pakistan, uh, Ethiopia, Uganda, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Mozambique, and Italy. Areas in Pakistan. Uh, Burkina Faso and northern Ghana traditionally associated with hotter and drier conditions are now becoming um, wetter and more uh, flood prone. The southern Shabal uh, region, region of Ethiopia which previously faced frequent flooding amid 1980-2000 is now experiencing a shift towards prolonged and severe drought conditions. The researchers observed changes in the frequency and magnitude of flooding and drought hazards over the past four decades. These um, these 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 severe weather conditions um, do do um, cause uh, many people. They affect uh, many many, many, many people exactly. Yeah, livelihood, especially the poor poorest people. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have looked um, this topic through the angle of um, um, whether impacting the life of uh, sea life, mm. and um, in general, the uh, impacting the life of uh, people, but not specifically through the angle of uh, its impact on poor people. So uh, certainly a very um, um, you know very important topic. Um, and uh, it does affect uh, poor people the most. Uh, for example, um, many farmers, you know, their livelihood, you know, um, uh, rely on the um, in, uh, on agriculture. And um, for example, if they are their farms are flooded, then obviously uh, it's gonna impact uh, their livelihood, uh, livelihood as well. So, but. If we, you know, look uh, this topic through the aspect of um, Islamic angle, um, in Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states that corruption has appeared on land and sea because of what men's hand have wrought, that he may make them taste the fruit of some of their doings so that they may turn back from evil. Uh, moreover, in um, in Holy Quran, in chapter 81, verse 4, Allah the Almighty uh, says that 
and when the mountains are made to move and um, the you know these verses you know clearly uh, allude to the above mentioned findings and confirm that it is in human uh, it is in fact a human activity especially from uh, developed countries and nations which largely contributes to the you know um global warming and climate change uh, because most of the factories um the bigger projects are in the western uh, countries and you know which uh, most predominantly uh, affects the poorest people on earth and um so these verses you know it also urges um mankind to stop and reflect upon uh what they are doing uh, wrong and um the return to doing um what is better for the environment and its inhabitants uh by providing the relevant aid so it's a very um it's a wake up call for us uh, for us as well that uh we are standing at such a point uh, where many things are at stake especially the lives of poor people and um you know uh, if we just look at this point um through um if we just simplify this point for example um, we eat you know bread mm. for example almost every person eat bread daily kind of yeah in one form or another yeah. that bread that very bread comes from that point uh, where the farmer you know um had saw the uh, seed um and uh, take care of his farm hmm. yeah and for example if that farm or his agriculture you know is being flooded by due to the reasons of um uh mankind uh, or due to, due to the reason of man, uh human beings that uh, you know um the growing um uh climate change due to the growing climate change so we need to understand this point that um it is our responsibility to protect that sect of um the people who are being marginalized Indeed. the most and and in regards to that we have guidance from his holiness um Hazrat Mirza uh, Masrur Ahmed um yep. the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on how important it is for Ahmadiyya Muslim to fight climate change uh, so we'll just quick uh, quickly listen to this clip as well my question is how important is it for Ahmadiyya Muslims to fight climate change very important you should use try to avoid your using car while traveling for a short distance right either walk to that place or use bicycle hmm right yes. cycling is good for your health as well secondly you every amdi should make it a point that he should plant two trees every year this is how you can fight climate change huh if you are here if we have 30000 amdis here in the uk or more then every year we plant 60000 trees huh if not possible here then those who travel to other countries they can plant trees there 
So in this way, we can help. My question is, many people are worried about climate change recently. What is Islam's take on climate change? And is there any advice for people at home? <laughs> you see, Allah Ta'ala says that excess of everything is bad. Right? Although, you see, whatever the climate change is because of the industrial revolution, too much uh, smoke is being sent on in the air, air is being polluted. This is why it is one of the causes of the climate changes. Secondly, the, the, the trees are being cut and uh, no new forestation is being done, in the, especially in the third world countries, right? Although the population is increasing, but if we have proper plans, we can make, we can accommodate the population in such a way that uh, within the limited area of the land, we can accommodate as many people as possible, right? And infrastructure should be provided according to that, okay? So, if we are not following the, you need the, what law of nature requires from us, then the ultimate result will be that we are going to ruin our future. We are going to doom ourselves or our generation. So, the, the best way is that uh, instead of the, the greed or involving too much, involving ourselves too much in, in, the, in the, the comfort of the world and by creating so much of uh, gadgets and, and you see, without any, you know, proper planning, increase our production and because of the competition as China is doing and India is doing or America is doing. Now China, China says that because America started this pollution of the climate pollution some hundred years ago. So this is why they have advanced themselves. Now we have started it now and we shall take again next hundred years before we stop. So every country have their own vested interests. They are not uh, thinking of their future, about their future generation, right? So the best thing is that apart from making proper planning, that uh, how much fuel emission should be done or how can we control it alongside it, we should encourage and even force the third world countries to plant more trees so their, uh, the air pollution 
becomes less. And in this way, it will help us to reduce the climate change. That was guidance from uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masoori Ahmed, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. So, um, Daniel, you were mentioning about how um, these extreme weather conditions have, uh, what, what, what kind of effects these have on um, people's livelihoods and, and, and you were mentioning about agriculture. <coughs> so if you can just um, elaborate on that for the listeners, please. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, uh, I was saying that um, regarding the agri- agriculture that, for example, if the um, flood uh, comes and uh, drought comes, it can lead to significant uh, losses um, in agricultural uh, productivity. <coughs> and uh, certainly if, you know, for example, if something affects the um, poor sect of, uh, of a community, it, um, it is such a chain that it affects um, at the end uh, to the top level as well. So, you know, um, so we need to discuss this topic and need to raise awareness about this uh, specific, uh, from this specific angle as well. And uh, right now we have with us our next guest, um, uh, Katrina uh, McLeodes. Um She is a professor of dry land hydrology in the School of Geographical Sciences at the University of Bristol. Um, Katrina, welcome to the show. Good morning and peace be on you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, Katrina, can you explain what your research has found and what you mean by um, climate hazard flip? Yes, of course. Um, our research basically was aiming to uh, try and understand hmm. how climate change is expressing in different parts of the world, um, and particularly to understand how um, different places may be wetting or drying over time, and if we can see a clear pattern um, of that climate change expression in different parts of the world. And what we found, we, we selected um, some locations around the world where our partners WaterAid uh, are working on the ground, um, and we analyzed um, changes in rainfall, which is basically the supply of water to the Earth's surface, um, and the evaporative demand from the atmosphere, which is how much water um, is you know, going back up to the atmosphere and leaving the Earth's surface. And we analyzed these two components of the water cycle over 41 years, um, and we found some very interesting trends and patterns around the world. Mm. Um, and particularly this climate hazard flip that you refer to is a phenomenon whereby we've seen some areas have gone from being predominantly drought prone, meaning they're predominantly dry. And, they, and then, you know, 20 years um, ago, they, they, could, they revert into a more wet or flood prone um, situation. And what we're seeing is several parts of the world are seeing a flip from being dry to being wet. And other parts of the world are going from being predominantly wet or flood prone to being dry or drought prone. And this is a, a very interesting expression of, of climate change, which indicates that climate change is affecting different parts of the world differently um, and, and causing, you know, a basically a, a flip from one situation to another. Mm-hmm. 
And what are the effects of this, you know, um, has it flip on water resources and how does it impact communities? Yeah, so, I mean, clearly you can imagine how um, different, you know, places that are, uh, are lacking in water, are, are drought prone, are basically, you know, they have strategies over years to try and adapt mm. um, and, and, and provide resilience to droughts. And so a lot of funding and, and effort will go into trying to, um, provide mechanisms and adaptation strategies to cope with drought. And then, you know, as years go by and you flip into a more wet situation or a flood-prone situation, you, suddenly you, you're faced with a completely different hazard, a completely different situation where, again, it's a different sort of set of strategies for adaptation. And so this provides communities with immense challenges for adapting to climate change. And there are various parts of the world, um, various parts of Africa, for example, where um, where, where challenges are now presenting in terms of adapting to both floods and droughts. And you can imagine how this is causing compounding challenges. In terms of water resources, um, clearly if we go from wet uh, or flood-prone um, climate to drought-prone climate, then you know, uh, ecosystems and water resources will dwindle and will be more challenging to manage. Um, and the other way around, if we go from drought-prone to flood-prone, you know, we're, we're facing hazards to life, to infrastructure, um, and ecosystems also that are not well adapted to um, uh, an oversupply of water, if you like. So ecosystems mm. over time adapt to their predominant climate. And so there will be challenges in ecosystem adaptation, but also more fundamentally for human societies is this um, uh, impact on water resources and particularly groundwater and water for crops um, and plants. Mm-hmm. And Katrina, as you know, you have a background in developing technology to aid and adapt to climate change um, within rural communities. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, the rural communities? Yeah, sure. So um, our group, um, our research group here, which is a, a big group between the universities of Bristol and Cardiff, um, have been working on a variety of projects um, which in which we're trying to develop technologies um, in the form of computer models and apps um, to enable um, information to uh, be communicated to various levels of um, society from all the way from institutions that make decisions all the way down to rural communities that are um, involved in farming or pastoral livelihoods. So our teams have been developing uh, these novel computer models which are particularly trying to convert this climate information, so if it's wetting or if it's drying or whatever the climate happens to be doing, it can be converted into um, usable um, and actionable information on the ground in terms of water. So our models can translate rainfall information into water, uh, groundwater or uh, water in the soils or water in the rivers. Um, and then we convert that information into, let's say, user-friendly forms of that and try and communicate that through different apps that can go all the way down to different levels of society. And the idea behind that is that um, mostly when um, institutions communicate climate change, they tend to communicate very high level rainfall or temperature. They'll say, oh, it's going to be wetter in the Mm. rain or it's going to be more rain or it's going to be hotter. But very rarely does that get translated into what does that mean if I'm a person on the ground living in a community and I'm and I'm a farmer, or if I need to get water from my wells, 
what does that mean for that? Is my groundwater going to be lower? Is it going to be higher? Are my crops going to have enough water to drink? So our mm. models and tools um, provide that level of information and detail so people can make informed decisions um, about their livelihoods. And um, we're working with um, institutions in East Africa, for example, that, that will be communicating um, this information to a wide audience um, through a variety of means. But, um, but fundamentally, we are just translating climate into water, if you like. That's our main goal. Uh, and thank you very much for sharing that information with us. And um, also thank you very much for being on the show. And it was a delight to have you on the show. Uh, thank you very much. Peace be on you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Thank you. So that was... Um, Uh, Katrina Michaelides and she is a professor of wildland hydrology in the School of Geographical Sciences at the University of Bristol. Daniel, um, before this um, wonderful guest, we you were discussing about um, how um, you know these we- extreme weather conditions they have they have uh, the the impact on people's livelihoods and you were talking about mm. how it affects agriculture um and employment right mm. i just wanted to mention that um at the 15th national peace symposium on 17th of march 2018 um the the uh, worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community his holiness hazrat mirza masur ahmed he stated that People living in the world's poorest nations do not concern themselves with the environment or the latest figures on carbon emissions. Rather, they wake up each day wondering if they will be able to feed their children. Their economic plight is truly desperate and their poverty levels are far beyond our comprehension. We must not consider such hardship as other people's problems. Instead, we must realize that the result of such poverty has severe implications for the wider world and directly affects global peace and security. The fact that children have no option but to spend their days collecting water for their families means that they are unable to go to school or to attain any form of education. They are stuck in vicious in a vicious cycle of illiteracy and poverty that is seemingly endless and hugely damaging to society. This emphasizes the role of organizations to provide help in affected areas of climate change. His Holiness also ex- um, uh, you know, stated in regards to extreme weather, um, which can also lead to water uh, um, scar- scarcity or lack of crop yields, leading to conflicts between people, And in this regard, His Holiness states, Yet today, rather than justice, we witness injustice at every level of society. Both between people and nations, such inequality um, and disregard for fairness is directly contributing is directly contributing to the world's lack of security. In chapter 49, verse 9 of the Holy Quran, It states that if two parties or nations are in a state of conflict, then their neighbors and allies should seek to bring about reconciliation. And that's the words of of, uh, His Holiness from the 15th National Peace Symposium. 
I mean, in, um, in, in 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 line with this teaching, Islam yeah. has has prohibited the the wastage the wastage of of all natural resources as well as the excessive consumption. You know, we 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 can see today that um, water and food shortages have become major problems due to our um, exploitative use of of our planet's uh, you know precious resources. But Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran, "Eat and drink." But exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. Allah the Almighty um, also instructs us to, to not to focus on, on um, extravagance and to share the benefit of everything that he has bestowed upon man. So at the end of the day, Daniel, it comes down to us that we need to understand our responsibilities and, and care for our our neighbours as well our and and. Uh, just normal people like us, we can the, the the best thing that we can do for them is also pray for them. Yeah. Pray for all those people that are in 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 those parts of the world. I mean, it is the biggest weapon we have right now with us in this day and age. Exactly. And you know, um, yeah, as you just mentioned, um, the saying of uh, the promise of His Holiness. Um, regarding the wor- uh, world's uh, poorest nations and um, just want to share that um, just want to share that uh, His Holiness also lived in Ghana as well for yeah. Over, yeah, over 8 years and he has seen the uh, hardships uh, of that uh, particular uh, area exactly. as well where you know it is very difficult to uh, find the clean water but uh, we will uh, you know um, uh, discuss this topic um, after this um, esteemed guest um, which is uh, Claire Seward uh, Claire Seward is the global campaign director at Water Aid UK um, Claire Seward, welcome to the show. Good morning and peace be on you. Good morning. Um, Claire, what are the challenges uh, faced by people on the front line of climate change, um, such as those, you know, dealing with floods or droughts? Um, Claire, can you uh, hear me? I think the line has been dropped. Um, we will uh, speak to Claire Seward after um, after a short while. But as you know, before that, I was uh, mentioning uh, regarding um, uh, His Holiness. You know, His Holiness um, Mirza Masroor Ahmad, uh, who lived in Ghana for over eight years, and he has seen the hard um, hard hardships of that particular area. And, you know, one of his main successful um, events uh, is that he successfully planted and nurtured wheat for the first time in Ghana. Um, And the experiment of planting, growing and nurturing wheat as an economic crop in Ghana was exhibited at an international uh, trade fair. And the results was submitted to the, you know, um, Ministry of Agriculture of Ghana. And that's a very amazing and um, fascinating achievement, uh, I would say, uh, which uh, he achieved in Ghana while living in Ghana. And um, and many times he has also mentioned um, how 
hard the life was um, uh, for those people who are living in Ghana uh, obviously he has seen personally himself um, and experienced it and um, he also you know um, uh, tells us that how important it is to be grateful to God Almighty uh, for very little things that we have in our life um, while living in Western countries. Uh, but obviously we will um, continue with this. Um, but um, let's talk about um, you know the those areas areas which are most affected by the weather conditions. And so, wise, um, just to you that I want to ask that what measures are uh, taking place to help with these ongoing weather conditions um, in the affected uh, areas? Well, um, it's important for community engagement and education. So, public awareness campaigns play a a crucial role in informing communities about the impacts of climate change raising consciousness about uh, you know environmental issues um by engaging local uh, populations um then these in, in initiatives they contribute to building a um a collective understanding and and commitment to addressing um climate challenges um it's it's important uh for local communities through uh, initiatives to involve um, and provide them with with, with knowledge, um, you know, resources and tools to cope with with specific um, climate-related challenges they are facing. Um, you know, this 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 could include agricultural practices, um, and 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 so on. And also, certainly, we need to you know, um, the, especially the government need to. You know, introduce such uh, initiatives or such such um, incentives. You know, uh, which can empower local communities, um, such communities which are being marginalised, and that's how you know uh, society as a whole can um, can grow and be nurtured. And uh, uh, Right now, we are again joined by our esteemed guest, um, Claire Seward. Um, uh, Claire, are you with us? Yes, I am. Apologies for the technical issue. Uh, uh, no worries, no worries. Uh, just again, uh, I will ask you the question, which uh, uh, I, I, I believe that wasn't answered because the line was dropped. And can you just tell us what are the challenges uh, faced by the people on the front line of climate change, uh, such as those dealing with um, uh, floods or any kind of uh, drought? I think the main thing is that the climate crisis is essentially a water crisis. And as you've just said, when most people experience climate change, they're experiencing it through either a drought or flood. In fact, 90% of all natural disasters are water related and it's the world's most vulnerable people who are suffering the most um, so roughly half the world's population is experiencing uh, severe water scarcity for at least part of the year 
um, and particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia alone, 644 million people already don't have access to clean water and actually floods and droughts are making that worse. WaterAid released some, some new research um, in November this year which really started to track over the last 40 years how we've seen changes in climate change and how it's been experienced. And from drought-stricken farmlands to, to flood-ravaged communities, people in Pakistan, in Burkina Faso, Ghana, Ethiopia, are all experiencing real extremes in something called what we're calling a, a climate whiplash, the kind of extremes of drought to floods. In places like Uganda, we're seeing increasing levels of floods, and in Mozambique, it's a real chaotic mix of both. And this affects people's lives, it affects their homes, it affects their crops, it affects their livelihoods. And not enough is being done to pay attention to this and address this for both now and the future. And um, Claire, if you can just also tell us that how people coping with the, uh, with the consequences of climate-related whiplash. Mm. So there are several things. I mean, people are... are very conscious of, of how important clean water is and we've, we were speaking as part of the research we did to some to some women in Pakistan who were talking about how each drop of water is valued like ghee um, and it's treated as a precious and expensive resource um, and how seeing their villages washed away is teaching them really important lessons around things like building their houses higher to protect uh, protect them high ground to protect them from future floods putting up barriers around their crops to prevent um, crops being washed away or moving latrines away from flood zones. So communities are really thinking about um, what are the local solutions that they can put in place. And WaterAid is working alongside of these communities, thinking about how we can help to monitor water levels and rainfall, how to manage the water across all the needs of the community, whether it's for drinking, whether it's for washing yourself or your clothes, whether it's for your livestock or for your crops. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really important is that the government, whether it's a local government, a national government, another entity, is really listening to those community solutions because that's the core of the future and what we need to be investing in and planning in. Mm. And why, you know, is it important to uh, um, for climate adaptation solutions such as um, uh, important and urgent matter? For too, for too long, adaptation is not been an issue of attention. It is absolutely right that we have been focusing on how to reduce global warming and restrict fossil fuel use. Mm. Um, but that's come at the expense of understanding that people are on the front line of, of climate change now. Um, and this is, this is about people's lives. Water is life. Mm. And unless we tackle this, then we're not going to be addressing um, issues in the future. And it's not just, I think, for communities, although, that, although that's the real core of it, but you, you don't have girls going to school, you don't have healthy populations, you mm. don't have a growing economy. So this is about investment in sustainable water and sanitation hygiene and that infrastructure is really important investment for governments for, for their future, as well as for the well-being of, of millions of lives. Mm. And lastly, um, Claire, what are the key factors for, um, for a healthy life and improved livelihood? I think one of the, the core of this is that people need clean water, decent toilets, and good hygiene. This, this mm. creates a healthy life and, and, and sustainable living. Certainly. And I think what we're really keen to see is how there is a global investment in this issue. How can we get 
governments putting more of their budget into into this kind of climate resilient water and sanitation hygiene? How can we get international financing on climate to be invested in this important climate resilient water sanitation hygiene? These are the cause because that means that Women and girls aren't spending their day walking to get clean water, but they're, they're able to go to school, they're able to work. Women can give birth safely. Um, whole communities can thrive. So for us, it's about governments understanding that this is something they have to invest in. This is not an option. And then having the climate finance from in the country and around the world behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much, um, Claire, uh, for joining us um, uh, it's been a delight to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much and peace be on you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So that was uh, Claire. She is the Global Campaigns Director at um, Water Edge UK. So coming back to where we left before taking our guest, um, as Mubariz was, you know, uh, mentioning um the measures which were you know uh, taken place to help with those ongoing uh, weather conditions in the um affected areas and um you know and i also mentioned that you know it is really important for the government uh, local authorities or other authorities higher authorities that to empower the local communities or those communities who are being marginalized and uh, who have don't have the basic facilities and uh, to uplift um, those communities such communities only this is the only way to you know um, to help the society grow as as a whole and it is very important uh, for a very healthy society as well uh, where you know uh, each human being can uh, grow um, in a balanced way uh, coming back to the Islamic perspective as well um, which is very important and we shouldn't forget you know um, that um, again you know as um, uh, we have mentioned uh, the quote of His Holiness Hazrat uh, Masroor Ahmad as well in the first segment as well also in the second segment and you know it's really beautiful that you know um, how you know he guides us through every aspect of our life um, in the in the light in the teachings of uh, Islam and Sharia and uh, if you look at the Holy Quran in chapter 44 47 verse 39 Allah the Almighty states that uh, Allah the Almighty instructs Muslims to spend their wealth for the sake of helping others and and specially applies for the wealthy helping um, the poor those who are unwilling to do so have been declared as greedy as um, and the Quran states that such miserly ways are not liked by Allah and are a means of darkening a person's soul uh, right now we have with us our next guest uh, uh, who is Richard Taylor um, Richard Taylor is a professor of hydrogeology and at the University of 
College of London. He has worked with research institutions, government community organizations in tropical Africa and South Asia to develop more sustainable and equitable water supplies for drinking and food production. Um, Richard, welcome to the show. Peace be on you. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, Richard, how do changes in temperature extremes impact agriculture food production? Well, the increased frequency of extreme events brought about by global warming substantially reduces crop yields of key staples like uh, rice and wheat. Mm. And um, can you, you know, further elaborate um, your point, uh, you know, regarding um, how how it impacts uh, the agriculture and food production? Sorry, again, is uh, is that the impact of extreme weather conditions? Yep. Or that, yeah, yeah. So in, in a in a warming world, uh, we have an increased frequency of extreme heat events, floods and droughts and these impact human health in a variety of ways extreme heat for instance leads to kidney failure and heart attacks in the very young and the very old floods contaminate water supplies leading to outbreaks of diarrheal diseases and mm. droughts for instance impact crop yields and that can exacerbate malnutrition especially in rain-fed agricultural areas uh, for instance across tropical africa and what areas of research or policy development should be um, prioritized uh, to better understand and uh, to address the complex challenges uh, posed by the climate change? Well, there are quite a few. I can imagine mm -hmm. I'm, go I'm going to choose two. I mean, so some priority policy re and research issues around climate change. I, I One certainly is climate injustice. So the one thing that's not well understood is that the the amplification of climate extremes, so greater rainfall events and flood events and uh, longer droughts, um, under global warming, this this amplification is several times greater in the tropics than it is at the latitudes of, say, London, Paris, and New York. Yet per capita carbon footprints mm. in high-income countries are 20 to 50 times greater than that in low-income countries in the tropics. So it's really an absurdity that rich countries quibble about climate finance and policies like the Loss and Damage Fund, which will be debated in Dubai uh, at COP28 over the next couple of weeks. Hmm. Another critical issue is that of food security. So water resources are dwindling in some of the world's major food-growing regions that are reliant on irrigation, like the California Central Valley or Northwest India, even the North China Plain. So really big questions remain about how we will feed ourselves mm -hmm. as our planet continues to warm. Mm -hmm. So your research, you know, uh, it highlights the uh, developing climate resilient strategies to, to sustain agriculture and improve water uh, access. So can you please uh, explain how these strategies uh, would work and their expected outcome? Well, my research uh, 
with research institutions in tropical Africa and South Asia mm-hmm. um, highlights how the amplification of rainfall extremes in the tropics can actually increase the renewability of groundwater, the world's largest distributed store of fresh water. Mm. So a key climate resilience strategy to sustain <laughs> irrigated agriculture and access to safe water is something we call freshwater capture, whereby we more effectively store the floods when they occur in the subsurface. Um, in Bangladesh, for instance, mm-hmm. our research has shown how dry season irrigation of rice in some areas induces greater capture of floods, discharges, during the subsequent uh, monsoon. It's a process we call the Bengal water machine. And over three decades, millions of smallholder farmers in Bangladesh Mm. who are conducting this dry season irrigation have captured a volume of fresh water that is twice the reservoir capacity of the Three Gorges Dam. So there are some success stories around how we can improve the resilience of agriculture to uh, to climate change. But, um, of course, these will depend upon the location, um, and we need to be investing a lot of time and energy to better understand um, uh, how these strategies can work in different environments. And I'm... Um, I'm currently working on uh, work in, 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 in the drylands of the Sahel, so southeastern Niger and northern Nigeria, places like central Tanzania, hmm. and even peninsular India. And we're trying to develop more climate-resilient water supplies for food and drinking that use groundwater in an equitable and sustainable manner. So there are solutions out there, um, uh, but it it does remain a, a a very considerable challenge, and we really need uh, uh, on on issues around climate justice, for instance, we really need uh, governments in Western Europe and North America and other locations around the world, particularly in the higher income countries, to take this issue much more seriously than they are. Um, yep. And uh, you know it's uh, it's a very key uh, thing to you know um, also um, uh, to look uh, about those areas as well which are you know third world countries or those areas which are being marginalized and um, also you know as Islam teaches that we should be uh, the one who should help their fellow beings um, mm. in their highs and lows. And that's the key, you know, for a global peace as well. So thank you very much for joining us and have uh, been or be, and being on the show. Thank you very much. And thank you very much you. for having me. Have a very good day, everyone. Thank you very much. Uh, so that was Richard Taylor, um, a professor of hydrogeology at University <coughs> College London. Now we will move on to our, our last segment, which is regarding positive um, parenting results in pro-social kids. And Mobiles, if you can, you know, uh, tell us about the gist of the story regarding this. So um, a recent study reveals a significant link between early parent-child relationships and the likelihood of, of children exhibiting positive social traits Drawing on data from 10,000 individuals in the UK, researchers observed that children who experience warm and affectionate bonds with their parents at age three not only show show lower uh, susceptibility to mental health issues, mm. 
but also demonstrate increased pro-sociality in, in adolescence, uh, exemplified by behaviours like kindness, empathy and volunteering. So this segment will focus on the importance of maintaining a good relationship between a parent and their child for a positive child development. Mm. So why is having a close relationship between a parent and child so important for their development? In a study conducted by the University of Cambridge, it was found that children who had a close um, relation with their parent tended to have less mental health problems and more socially desirable um, pro-social behaviours. Having a close relationship between parent and child is important for the child's uh, development of, of similar attitudes such as kindness, empathy and love. Um, it also provides stability for the child in their year, early years um, and will act as a strong foundation for, for relationships throughout their uh, development and in later in life. Uh, on the other hand, you know, those who have uh, abusive relationship with their parents, unfortunately, you know, they're more likely to experience mental health problems mm. and less likely to uh, portray um, pro-social behaviours. Um, that's why it's, it's, it's uh, very important to keep uh, a strong, healthy relationship between parent and child for a healthy um, uh, development. Mm. Um, in regards to this, um, Allah the Almighty has commanded Worship none but him and show kindness to parents. If one of them or both of them attain old age with thee, never say to them any word expressive of disgust nor reproach them, but address them with kindly speech and lower to them the wing of hum humility out of tenderness and say, My Lord, have mercy on them as they nourished me in my childhood. Chapter 17, verse 24 to 25. This guidance um, underscores the significance of honouring and caring for parents throughout their lives um, as an integral part of one's religious and, and moral responsibilities in Islam. And that's obviously because Daniel, parents go through um, a lot and parents uh, do a lot for their children as well. So the, again, as we always mention, that the, the most we can do for someone else is to pray for them. Mm. And that's why Allah the Almighty has taught us that we need to Pray for our our parents and for our elders yes. in, in in the same regard. Mm. And obviously, you know, um, um, it's a very uh, parents have a very key role uh, in terms of parenting. As um, I know, th I know that it's a very heavy burden on their shoulders. But um, this is what it is that uh, how this is a process that how society grows and. Um, you know, uh, if you just look at a child, you know, uh, a child, you know, tries to imitate every little thing of uh, what is happening around uh, him or her. And um, especially in this regard, um, parents need to, you know, uh, be an uh, exemplary role model mm. um, for their kids because they try to, as I've said that, they try to, you know, imitate every little thing around them. And also, you know, we need to understand that the they are the children who are the future of a society, you know, and who gonna carry the burden of uh, that burden uh, in future. So, you know, and to uplift a society, um, the children need to be uplift, uh, uplifted first. Yeah. That's really important. 
and um, that's how you know um, equation works and um, um, if a child is being you know uh, fostered well and uh, nurtured well um, both uh, mentally physically and spiritually as well then only then you know a, a bright future uh, a bright society and a bright generation can be promised and um, you know also that um, you know so uh, we also need to understand what the um, characteristics of, of of being a good um, parent-child bond is basically right mm, yeah so we need to understand that the it's a place where the child feels comfortable safe and protected by their parent as well mm. um, you know the, the parent empowers their children to explore the world with confidence and resilience um, unconditional love is something a parent gives to their child certainly yeah um, now uh, that love um, I would say that a person or a child cannot find anywhere else indeed uh, apart from you know God Almighty you know who says that uh, he loves a child or person more than more than his a mother loves his child indeed yeah. and it's important to for both uh, for the parent and the child to understand that there is mutual respect mm. and that the respect is uh, reciprocated between between um, both of them yep. and again there should be flexibility uh, tolerance patience um, in between the parent and the parent needs to understand that the children are continuously developing and changing mm. but also the the parents are also uh, developing and changing and they're also learning how to be a parent it's, it's the first time for them as well yeah. and so they're also going through a change in life I would say that you know there's um, the very first child um, I would say uh, you can say that um, the experiment happens <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> the love is like uh, the, the, the model <laughs> yeah um, in regards to this we have a um, a, a short clip uh, which is a question and answer session with His Holiness uh, Hazrat Mizar Masur Ahmed, the current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, on how we can have a good relationship with our parents. My question is, how are we able to have a good relationship with our parents so we don't do things our parents don't like? You see, your parents always want good for you. They don't want anything bad for you, right? So whenever they give you any advice or they ask you to do something that is for your good, you obey them. If they ask you that you go to school and study hard and get good marks, that is for your betterment, for your good. If they ask you when you come back home, you complete your homework first, then it is for your good. If they ask you to keep yourself clean, it will benefit you, right? Because yes, this is how you can have good health. If they ask you to offer your five daily prayers, then it is for the betterment of your spiritual level. So you will get close to Allah Ta'ala in this way. Yes, please. You see, always think that your parents are the people who are the best people in the world who love you, who care for you, and who desire good for you. So always obey them. And this is how you can have good relation with your parents. 
I don't think there is any parent who does something opposite to this. Um, um, this was His Holiness, uh, Hazrat Mizam Ahmad, uh, giving guidance regarding this topic. And, uh, you know, there's a one specific point which I want to make, and this is from the book of um, uh, the second caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, from the book uh, Way of the Seekers. And uh, a very beautiful book I would recommend um, uh, who can, you know, uh, read this. Um, uh, and go through this there's one point from this book which uh, goes like this that when you tell a child it is bad it draws an imaginary picture in which it figures itself out as a bad and does in fact become bad therefore do not abuse a child praise it and teach mm. it to be good a very important and vital point uh, keep to keep in mind indeed and obviously that will um give a positive um personality to the to the child which is important in 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 all of this um dear listeners that brings us to the end of today's show um thank you so much for joining us this morning as we wrap up the show um please do stay tuned for tomorrow's show um and for today i would like to thank our producer burira shamsi our researchers komal Azka, Nozat, Nabila, and Iza, and uh, tech team, uh, Brother Zishan, thank you very much. And Daniel, um, thank you for uh, joining me without who this uh, show uh, wouldn't be as ex- exciting. And I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us today as well. Um, dear listeners, thank you very much. And here is the 9 o'clock news. <laughs>